You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 190 by Rudolf Steiner. Twelve lectures entitled Past and Future Impulses in Societal Events, translated by Paul King. This is Lecture 3, given in Dornach on the 23rd of March, 1919. Today we are going to look at a number of things to do with supersensory life, which can show you from a particular angle how important and ever more important it is in forming judgments about what happens here in the physical world, to look at the supersensory, superphysical processes that are always connected with these physical events on earth. We are, in fact, standing at the close, at the end of one age and at the beginning of a new one. You know that this is said about all ages, but of the age just finishing and the one just beginning, it will be possible to say it in a completely different sense from any previous age. For we have events behind us, catastrophic events, which, as humanity is realizing more and more, have not occurred with such intensity since the beginning of recorded history. The age that has finished was one in which people here on earth concerned themselves as little as possible with the supersensory world. If one takes this seriously, one just mustn't confuse what one could call external church and lip service with a genuine orientation toward the supersensory world. It is really not so very difficult to see that what people have regarded for centuries as a certain religiosity is more of an external business, that it is not a genuine orientation toward the supersensory world. People have lived right into our times with a certain lack of concern about the supersensory world, and the changing times require humanity to orient itself once more to the supersensory worlds. People must learn to look to these supersensory worlds once more, but in a different way from how people today often imagine. People would like to stick to their ordinary complacent faith that doesn't require much inner exertion. Those who have stayed with this complacent faith are the ones who are the greatest foes of real modern progress. The churches that fight against the new paths to supersensory awareness are the reason why increasingly more materialistic impulses are entering humanity. What is required today is to learn to see into the spiritual worlds in a really concrete way. We are now in the age when, for example, a tremendous turnabout must take place whereby people change from being thought automatons into really thinking individuals. Of course, it is awful when someone says such things, or people in modern times naturally regard themselves as thinking people. And when one requires them to become really thinking people, they see this more or less as an insult. Nevertheless, this is how things are. Ever since the middle of the 15th century, what has taken over in people 
is that they have become thought automatons. People today acquiesce, as it were, to their thoughts. They do not have mastery over their thoughts. Just think for a moment what it would mean if the situation were the same with respect to other members of your organism, as happens with most people of the present with their organs of thought. Ask yourself whether the modern individual can be very inclined, I say can be, to begin a thought by choice, to conclude a thought by choice. Today thoughts just bubble through people's heads. People have no defense against them. They just succumb to them automatically. One thought pops up, another disappears, things flash and flit through our heads, and the best one could say about how people think is that it thinks in them. Just think what would happen if the same thing happened to people with regard to their arms and legs, if they controlled these as little as they control their thinking. Imagine a person on the street behaving with their arms as they behave with their organ of thought. You can imagine all the thoughts that flit through a person's head as they cross the street. And now picture the person constantly gesticulating with their hands and arms in the way they do with their thoughts or even with their legs. And yet we stand on the brink of an epoch in which people must learn to have as much control over their thoughts, that is, more precisely their organs of thought, as they have control over their arms and legs. This is the age human beings are entering. A certain inner discipline in thinking is what has to gain ground, but people at present are still very far from this. Since the middle of the 15th century, we have been in the 5th post-Atlantean epoch. Before this has run its course, people must really learn to control their thinking, just as they control their arms and legs. Then the actual task of this fifth post-Atlantean epoch will have been fulfilled for those who are able to do this. You see, things are serious if we take into account what is rising over the horizon of human evolution, as it were, in the present age. But there will be something essentially different associated with this mastery of thinking. The more people begin to master their thinking, the more they will come into a position to think pictorially, to have imaginations. And imaginations will be used by people. For only by this means can social tendencies bring about a development in the anti-social tendencies that are so prevalent today so that through imaginations people gain the capacity to really put themselves in the place of their fellow human beings. One cannot put oneself in the place of another human being merely by abstract thinking. Abstract thinking makes us self-centered. Abstract thinking takes us to where we only listen to our own opinions. And above all, abstract thinking leads people to shut themselves off more or less from the flexibility we need in order to be able to live with the spiritual world. The fact that people today cannot easily live with the spiritual world can be seen in a very particular phenomenon that is extraordinarily common today. You see, for example, that our, in quotes, call went out into the world. It has apparently been understood by a number of people. Here and there all over the world there are people who have understood it. 
but a large number of other people have professed to not being able to understand it. It is hard to imagine what it could mean that people don't understand the call, for it contains nothing that right from the start couldn't be understood actually by anyone. And yet many people find it incomprehensible. How is this so? This is so because real education of the mind has reached an exceptionally low level, because the moment people hear thoughts that interrupt their thought automatism, they cannot follow anymore. Once a thought is in motion, people today are used to following it automatically. Just observe the typical people of the present. They will be able to tell you priceless things. When people are supposed to say something out of themselves, What they roll out is what they have been used to saying since their childhood. Putting new ideas into people's heads is exceptionally difficult today. Generally speaking, anyone who has a bit of life experience always knows what most people will say about one thing or another that crops up in the world today. This is how automatic people's judgments, people's thoughts have become. This thought automatism is the most disruptive factor today in what is required of people by the forces of evolution. People like to have formulas. They like to have what they are used to. The further westward one goes, the more one hears when a sentence is formulated. Quote, no, one can't say that. Close quote. When something in German, for example, needs to be translated into Dutch or English or French, how often it is that people say, Quote, that's not English, that's not Dutch, that's not French. Quote. One can't say this for the reverse. In German, everything is possible. We can put the predicate at the beginning, in the middle, at the end. It's always still German. The statement that a particular way of saying something is not German can almost never be said in the same sense that one says something is not Dutch or English or French and so on. Certainly there are also certain habits of thought that are then expressed in the word sequence in a sentence, but one could just as well use a different sequence in the sentence from what is usual in grammar. In this respect there is actually nothing that is incorrect. And when people in many respects talk about something being wrong or incorrect, this is only out of Philistinism and smugness. The automatism of thinking often comes to clear expression in language. People should be aware of such nuances in life, for nuances like this are exceptionally important for understanding our times. So when automatism in thinking stops and mobility in thinking gains ground, the possibility for imaginations in human souls will be awakened. There is something else that must be fought against, and that is the lack of proper education in our age. A lack of real education in our age is exceptionally prevalent. There are all sorts of things people don't understand simply because they don't fit into their thought automatism. People generally find preachers comprehensible because, fundamentally speaking, they say nothing that hasn't been fed into the thought automatism of their listeners countless times. People find it particularly nice if they can think inside, quote, ah, what he's saying is what I've always said to myself. Haven't I always said this? Close quote. How often we hear this today. 
and how accurate we find things of which we can say, quote, haven't I said this myself? Close quote. It is really not very necessary to hear something one has said oneself. It is rather a waste of life if one only ever wants to hear what one has said oneself. It is certainly not so easy to listen to spiritual scientific things. Most people cannot say that these are something they have already said themselves. And because the things don't fit into people's thought automatism, people today find them so difficult to understand. Today the most uneducated people are often in circles where one would least expect to find them. Specialization in science has brought it about that scientists in particular plough one special field. They dig themselves into it with their thought automatism. But aside from this, they are often the most uneducated people. We have university professors today who cannot understand the simplest things, who are really the most uneducated people, and we are only deceived about their lack of education because they often say, quote, such things are not popular enough for ordinary people, close quote. We also hear things like this in other areas. How often, for example, can we hear from theater directors in our cities that they must present things that are generally comprehensible, otherwise people won't understand them? This is mostly based on the fact that the theater directors themselves don't understand things better, whereas the theater goers would be glad to be presented with something else. We need to look a bit below the surface if we want to understand the factors in our time that are necessary to move our time forward. All these things are important in order to be able to judge what can contribute to helping people come to the imaginations that are so vital for the life of society. If these imaginations gradually arise in people's souls, these human souls will come into a mood that will find it unbearable to think of the life of thought, education, schools, universities being dependent on the state or on the economic order. A time will come when the imaginations will become so strong in individual people that these individuals will feel in an intellectual life that is organized according to the state or economics like someone shackled and fixed in a rut that allows them movement only in one direction. The people who develop imaginations will feel shackled in an education that is dependent on the state and economics and which is seen today as an ideal. The developmental forces of the times are speaking strongly in this respect, my dear friends. If the present conditions continue, a strong discrepancy, a dissonance would gradually arise between what people require as a free life of thought through the external makeup of their soul and what would exist if all education were constricted by state requirements. The schoolboys and girls in towns in Central and Eastern Europe who are expelling their teachers and electing committees from among their own numbers are perhaps just a caricature-like advance guard, but the mood cannot be ignored, which is tending toward throwing out what ought not to continue. These are flashes of summer lightning of a new age that should not simply be condemned, but whose impulses should to some extent be properly understood. That is the first thing. People will be oriented more and more to having a free life of thought. Why? 
because in the fifth post-Atlantean age we are moving toward a sensory, supersensory arrangement of the world in which those spirits of the higher hierarchies we call the Angeloi descend more deeply than before, enter into a much closer inner relationship with people than has previously been the case. From the present age onward, the relationship between the sensory and the supersensory world is to become closer. People are not only to receive rain from the clouds, but are to learn also to perceive from higher regions the inspirations of angels who increasingly mingle among human souls. In this way, the now emancipated life of thought will indeed become one which, through freedom of thought, will absorb what comes down as influences from a supersensory world. Establishing a life of thought standing on its own feet that is emancipated from the system of the state and the economy is not an external policy. It is something that has to be learned in association with the inner forces of human life by which humanity advances in its evolution. We can therefore say, when we call for a social orientation such as the one aspired to in our threefold structure, we are not calling for something that comes about like a policy, but something that is called for by the revelations of the spiritual world, which will speak more and more clearly to people, and which will say at the same time how humanity is heading toward its ruin, toward conditions of disease, if it declines to hear what is revealed out of supersensory worlds for humanity's salvation and well-being. And apart from the angels entering in this way into a closer association with people, in central Germany they call this engagement of more genteel individuals with common people, quote, uh, going down to their level, close quote, thus the angels will come down to our level in the future. The archangels will do this too. This archangelic intervention will lead to still other impulses. Even though they will speak much more softly, speak as quiet inspirations, they will come nevertheless, these inspirations. And these inspirations will be the foundation in the future for the inner substance of future states which have removed out of themselves the life of the intellect on the one hand and the economic sphere on the other and are thus proper legislative states within their own sphere. The states that were founded, for example, in the third post-Atlantean age, the Egyptian and Chaldean age, can be called theocratic states, just as we can also call the Hebrew state a theocracy. These theocracies, however, gradually disappeared. But theocracies need to come again to the earth, we should feel the working of the archangels in the earthly sphere of the law. We have said that the very opposite of humanity's supersensory life imprints itself precisely in the sphere of law. But into this sphere of law, which in the form it takes on earth is a most unspiritual thing, there should mingle the guidance and leadership of the archangels, the archangeloi, who are drawing closer to human beings once more. And the time spirits become bearers, custodians of human economic cycles. They will hold sway more and more in economic life, 
once this economic life has been really organized. It will become an associative life. Since the middle of the 15th century, people have developed the tendency to be always concerned only with the production of goods, with the accumulation of goods, with making profits. A turnaround is called for. In the future, once the economic cycle is put on its own footing, it will be far more a question of the distribution of goods among people and the consumption of goods. Associations will form that will regulate production once more according to consumption. When one tries today to make a small beginning in such an area, it is little understood or still constrained today by other impulses. Just consider how, not so long ago, we tried to make bread available to people that was not blindly produced somewhere and then taken to the markets, but was to be offered to consumers in the anthroposophical society. This would have been a consumer association supplied from a specific source. This would have been one instance where the abstract principle of supply and demand would have been overcome. This would have been a different way of applying the principle, which must be applied more and more, that production should correspond to, that is, not exceed, consumption. In a national economy, this is the only principle that is healthy. But at the moment, as said, such things are still difficult to implement on a small scale. But it is precisely in the economic system that this has to be aimed for. Social democracy expresses this by saying, quote, Up to now things have been produced in order to make profits. In the future things must be produced in order to be consumed. Close quote. But the way in which social democracy seeks to realize this principle would lead to a paralysis of the real social organism. The principle is justified but it is not yet thought through in a way that can be realized for the good of the social organism. So, what shines toward us, we could say, from the future, is firstly the necessity of a free life of thought, through which the angeloi come closer to human beings, secondly an independent system of state, through which the archangeloi come closer to human beings, and thirdly an independent economic system through which the archai come closer to human beings. They bring closer humanity's forces of development. An independent thought life must be the quickest to move forward, because this must be ready, that is, independent, by the end of the fifth post-Atlantean age. Spiritual theocracy must be ready and independent by the end of the sixth post-Atlantean age and by the end of the seventh post-Atlantean age, a real social life in community must be fully established, in which the individual would not feel happy unless everyone else were equally as happy as he, if the individual had to purchase his happiness at the cost of others. We have often touched on these things previously from a different angle. From the perspective of spiritual science, we have to see supersensory development behind the development we are calling for in the physical world. For the age is beginning in which people will only see the sensory properly when they see the supersensory alongside it as well. And it is of utmost importance for an understanding of the immediate future 
that the idea of repeated earth lives be understood not merely in abstracto, but grasped in very concrete terms. When we simply know that the human being passes from incarnation to incarnation with lives in between in the purely spiritual world, what we know is merely abstract. We should not be satisfied with this. Knowledge of these abstract things can give us a certain satisfaction, but only a knowledge that progresses to what is concrete can be of practical use for the world. Concrete knowledge of this nature, connected with repeated earth lives, leads, for example, to the insight that there is a certain connection between the experiences people have here on earth before passing through the portal of death and experiences after death. After crossing the portal of death, people actually continue in a certain way the life they led up to their death, and what people underwent on earth continues to reverberate very strongly when they have crossed the portal of death. So consider very vividly the following. People cross the portal of death. They take with them into the spiritual world what they have united with their soul here. This lives on there in a very, very real way. What a person brings with them into the spiritual world when they die is not a matter of no consequence. For what a person brings with them through the portal of death into the spiritual world becomes an important experience for those who will shortly descend to the earth through birth. A kind of important, essential meeting takes place between those who died shortly before this and those who are born afterward. Those who are to be born have important experiences with those who have recently died. Those intending soon to descend do not see directly what the earth was like, as it were, before those who are ascending crossed over the portal of death, but they do have an experience of it. They are prepared in a certain sense for their descent by what those who passed through the portal of death, bring up into the spiritual world shortly before this descent. We have been through a very materialistic age. Until 1913, a greater portion of humanity had left this world at death with a certain thoughtless acceptance of material interests. Until 1913, 1914, the great majority of people, by far, took very little with them into the spiritual world. There were souls in the spiritual world who had seen these new arrivals. The souls who were to descend later in 1914, 1915, 1916, 1917 saw these new arrivals with the residue in their souls of the materialistic age. This was transformed in these souls approaching birth into a terrible longing. You see, This is the curious thing about the children who have been born since 1912 or 1913. They have the remains in their child's soul life, in their smile, in their tears. They have the remains in their child's soul life of a longing they experienced before they descended through birth into earthly existence. And this longing was implanted into them by the people who had ascended. These had brought only little spiritual content with them. This terrible dearth of spirituality that people brought up with them into the spiritual worlds 
has awakened in a large number of children who have been born since 1914 or will be born in the next two years, the yearning not to find the conditions on earth left behind by those who had ascended. Behind the life of the present, one saw a curious force emanating from those who wanted to be born. We can describe this force as the longing to wipe away all the materialism that had gradually accumulated on the earth. Naturally, forces like this that work in a particular direction with such intensity come into dissonance with other forces and can thus be used by all manner of luciferic and dharmonic forces toward one goal or another. But consider what I have just said and you have an aspect of what lies behind sensory phenomena, the longing to wipe away an age growing more and ever more materialistic. Here you have one of the forces that aspire to the destruction of this age that is becoming more and more materialistic. We can say that among the forces that have worked in human development, albeit out of a deeply tragic quality, toward the destruction of our culture, swimming constantly into greater materiality. Among these forces is the yearning of the children who have been born since 1913. They did not want to appear in a world that offered a continuation of the situation up to now. That is the other side of the wild destruction that has come about. This is the other side of the challenge to learn by reflecting on the materialism of the past age. This is the impulse that should pour into our longing for real socialization. Thus we have to understand our time from the supersensory facts. We have to strive more and more not to remain fixed in what is sensory, but to ask, quote, what kind of supersensory forces are playing into sensory life? Close quote. A great call goes out from the supersensory worlds through this age. At the end of the 70s, the victory took place behind this sensory world of Michael over the forces I have often described, readers aside, the 1870s and their readers aside. By 1914, people could have become 35 years old. In the middle of their lives, the crisis had to break out. For if the crisis had not come, even those who had been born at the end of the 70s and had passed middle age would have become more and more rigid in their thought automatism, which, because it is an automatism, is expelled to physical life. From now on, these 35-year-olds were not to continue operating in the same circumstances of the age. Those who have been born since then are obliged to witness, on the one hand, the tragic destruction of what was part of life for their fathers and mothers, but for their soul life as a totality, it is better like this. The others, however, fail to understand how vital it is that supersensory worlds offer us the possibility of turning around from everything people have regarded as modern civilization and of living together with spiritual worlds. Yes, my dear friends, it is the spirit that is requiring of us that we understand a new dawning age. Only those will be able to contribute something to the further development of humanity who do not fail to hear this call of the Spirit. Let this speak loudly in us. 
Only then do we really stand in what the anthroposophical spiritual movement is meant to be and alone can will. We will speak further on these things next Friday at 7 o'clock. The end of Lecture 3